Hello, and welcome to Projected Futures, the podcast where we explore the possibilities of projection mapping. I'm Ryan Ritchie. When it comes to projection mapping on one-of-a-kind objects, they don't come much bigger, literally or figuratively, than the project of today's guest. LaToya Flowers is the exhibition media producer for the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. She's responsible for a recent projection mapping project on Sioux. Sioux is the most complete Tyrannosaurus rex fossil found to date. If you haven't had a chance to see the project in person, you can see a video on our site at projectivefutures.net. And now, I'm very happy to welcome LaToya Flowers to the show. LaToya, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm excited to talk about your work at the Field Museum, but before we get there, let's talk about life before that. What were you doing before joining the Field Museum? So for undergrad, I went to film school at the Art Institute. Um, And then for graduate study, I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York for social documentary film. And then after graduating grad school, I moved back to Chicago um, because that's my hometown. And I um, accepted a position at the Adler Planetarium as a media producer, doing something similar to what I do now at the Field Museum where there I was creating uh, media for their exhibitions and for marketing and things like that. And after working at the planetarium for four years, then I took a position at the Field Museum uh, making media for their exhibitions. And how much media is used at the Field Museum? Uh, Quite a bit. Um, I would say per exhibit, I personally have worked up to like about maybe five or six media pieces um, just for one exhibit. So it really depends on like the size of the exhibit, the kind of content that's going to be in that exhibit and really based on like what our content writers, like what do they want to do far as like media, like if it's something more immersive or these like narrated videos. So yeah, we, it takes a while to determine what, the media media actually is going to be in the exhibit. Um, And then from there, the amount of media pieces could be very little or quite a bit. In general, are the media pieces usually created in-house? Yes. So mostly all of our media pieces are created in-house. I, myself, and we have another media producer, Simon Watson, that's on staff. And then we also have a host of interns. Occasionally, we bring in contractors uh, to compose music, to do motion design, lighting design. Um, so yeah, we we our team could either be really small, depending on that project, or really large. Very good. So let's take a dive into what I suppose is the marquee media attraction. Is it fair to call it that? I think so. I, I, I I think it's safe to call it that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is the projection mapping on the T-Rex fossil known as Sue. Give us an overview of the project. So to take us way back, um, when Sue was in our Stanleyfield Hall, it's like our, our main lobby area of the museum. At that point, our executive team wanted to move Sue to another location that was a little bit more intimate that would allow you to really get a sense of how massive the skeleton really is, you know, how large it is 
our lobby area is so large itself that a lot of people felt over time that Sue felt really small, you know, for it to be a 40-something foot T-Rex. It didn't feel that big. So we decided to deinstall Sue and move it into a smaller gallery area where it would be a lot more intimate, but also we were going to add in a lot more artifacts about Sue's life, where it came from, uh, other animals that probably lived with Sue around that time, and really just dedicate that space for Sue. So that's, that's the like very beginning stages of it. Once we decided that we wanted to move it into this new location, then we were like, okay, we need to do something really spectacular about the skeleton. Um, like, what is it that can really just get people's attention? Something that they've never seen before, you know, and, and what would it be, you know? So one of the ideas I had was to do some projection mapping onto Sue to really show like the injuries mm-hmm. that is actually really visible to the eye, depending on how close you are to the skeleton. But a lot of times you wouldn't know what those injuries were or how that happened just from looking at the skeleton by itself. So that's where the idea of projection mapping came in is like we could use this medium to like highlight these injuries while having in some kind of narration to to call it out and to just point out what the injuries are, how to possibly have died, how the leg was injured, how the skeleton is 90% complete. So that's where the, the idea of projection mapping came from. And just to back up for a moment, this isn't just any fossilized skeleton. This is considered to be the largest, most complete, best preserved specimen, right? Exactly. And so it was just really important for us to to show that because for so long that was in writing. You know, if you saw it on like on a like a digital rail around the skeleton, all of that was all that content have always been there. But it was so embedded that it was just easy to miss. Like visitors wouldn't have caught all of that because there's so much to see in the museum. So being able to pull that content out of those digital rails and actually do something on the skeleton that's really immersive, that will get people's attention and that they will walk away even knowing more about Sue, that was really important for us. That was our our number one goal. Were there any special considerations or concerns given the historical significance any pushback over using projection mapping i think the one main concern was like will it degrade the bones over time and after talking to conservationists you know back and forth we have lights on sue for a long period of time like especially during events and so our um a lot of our staff, after debating over it, they decided that it it might be okay. And we had light meters, and people did like 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 held light meters up while the projections was on to see how harmful it is. And they saw like, oh, it's actually okay; it's not doing anything. But there were like certain colors, like red, that we couldn't use because they had like you know different ideas of that that set that color could be harmful to the to the bones mm. or like to the glue that's holding the bones mm-hmm. so yeah that was i think those were like the main two things is like the color you use and how much light is being emitted onto those bones and how long of a time it does it another thing we pointed out was that instead of having this projection map and be on a loop all day we time it out for like every 20 minutes 
So we do add in a break where that light does turn off <laughs> so that it's not just constant projection mapping onto the skeleton the entire time you're in the gallery. And there are some panels or monitors that give information in addition to the projection mapping, right? Yeah, so there are some digital panels like around the skeleton. There are some interactives in there. Behind the skeleton, there are six vertical screens that show like a mini like movie of Sue's world. And it shows six different vignettes. Uh, one is like the like Sue at the river. <laughs> She's hanging out. Um, another one is called Clash of the Titans when Sue fights a triceratops. And you see how Sue gets his injury on its leg. From those vignettes, visitors are able to kind of see what Sue's life was like in its natural habitat. <laughs> and how did you approach your pre-visualization for the project? So after everyone kind of was like, okay, a projection mapping sounds like an interesting idea, but it was something that the, ne the museum had never done before. So they were a little hesitant about doing it and a little more cautious of would this even work. So one of the first steps I did was I purchased a T-Rex toy off Amazon, which was like about 12 inches. So it was big enough for me to project onto. And so from there, I just started like practicing mapping. What would it look like if we just highlight the rib or highlight the skull or the leg? Because those are some of where the, the injuries are located. Mm -hmm. After putting together a short prototype video, I showed it to our our team and everyone was really impressed by it to see that how I was able to isolate each bone in a way that really mimics the, the goals and what we wanted to show. So from there, Sue was still in Stanley Phil Hall at that time. So then from there, that's when we had to then decide, OK, if we're really going to do this, how many projectors is it going to take? How far apart do they need to be? What is the experience like in the hall? Is Are you seeing this show over and over? Like, is it looping like constantly or is it going in and out between the vignettes? So it was a lot of like that kind of thought for us of what is it like when you walk in? What's the first thing you see? What will you do? How long would visitors possibly be in this gallery? Um, that definitely played a part in determining the, the style of the projection mapping, colors we used, all of that. This was your first use of projection mapping? Yeah, this was my very first big project and using projection mapping at all. So I kind of went in a little bit nervous, like, how will I get this to work? But <laughs> I, was glad, I was glad I had about six months just to prototype. And just to really play around with it, and I used Map Mapper and After Effects and Photoshop to do the projection mapping. I did not do the pro the projection mapping itself in Map Mapper like how you usually would. Mm -hmm. I actually did most of it in After Effects and in Photoshop. And my process behind that was really just creating the skeleton into an entire alpha mat. And then bringing that into After Effects and adding like different color effects, like gradients, doing the highlighting of motion. Once we projected it back onto the skeleton, everything really lined up perfectly. So I didn't need to use a mapping software, which I, I got pretty lucky. Um, and also, it would have been really challenging to use a mapping software for something like this because the bones are so, so organic. 
shape. There's like so many different bumps and curves to a bone. It's not like straight lines where it would be a lot easier to just, you know, draw around the bones. It was it was a little more challenging. And I felt that it was a lot easier to scan the skeleton and then bring it into Photoshop and just paint the bones. Mm-hmm. And I just painted up painted everything like separately on layers and then bring that in to After Effects, create the effects and then project it back onto the skeleton. So how did you do that initial scan? Um, I did the initial scanning in MadMapper. So that's where MadMapper came in handy was using my DSLR and just doing a spatial scanning of the skeleton. And then that created my, my JPEG image where I was able to use it as a template to then make the alpha mat of the skeleton. So once I projected back, everything lined up perfectly because it's, I'm working off of what the projector is seeing. Right. Yeah. And I just felt like if I painted it in Photoshop, I was really able to get it very perfect. And then once I projected it back, I was like, oh, like it actually works really well. And that spiel is like a very fine line. So I can either feather it out in After Effects or I can just go in and manually erase it. (laughs) (laughs) You made this initially in After Effects, but in the final project, it's not a single projector, it's multiple projectors. So I'm curious about the workflow and solution to handle the mesh, blending, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I worked with our AV supervisor, Paul Horse, um, who was really, really great and helpful in helping me work through that kind of workflow. And so the way we divided up their projectors is we used one for the skull, because the skull is so large. Our second projector was for the middle, like the the ribs and the gastralia, the belly ribs. And then our last projector was for the tail, because the tail is really large itself. Um, and so that's how we broke it up. We had to break it up into sections. And then he did his magic work on the blending end. <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty much my workflow was giving him three video files. Um, and everything had to be synced. And, and like all synced together as far as like the timing of everything. And then he used a system called Watch Out mm-hmm. where he uploaded those videos into that and the narration and the captions. And that's what that's where the entire show is playing from. It's playing from Watch Out. And also those six uh, screens that's playing behind it. That's also playing on Watch Out as well, because the entire experience is on a 20 minute loop. <laughs> So since it was the first projection mapping project for the museum, I'm curious what the reaction was both within the organization and from visitors. From the organization, I think everyone was really in awe of how it turned out and how it looked. Like when I did its first like real like rough cut test, people were really surprised to like see how they can clearly see a lot of the injuries. The storytelling they thought was really strong and the narration is just really great with the music. And they just felt like, well, like it's really compelling and it's fun to watch. You know, you it makes you want to watch it multiple times because it's not a long show. I think it's about maybe like a little over three minutes, but it was long enough that you know, like a lot of people wanted to sit and watch it again. As far as visitors, what I thought, was amazing is when we had open uh, for visitors. Uh, After the first group watched it, they applauded. 
And then the second wave came in, and then they applauded. And then the third wave came in, and then they also applauded. And then, so in that first day, you're like, wow, like, okay, people don't usually applaud at museum media pieces. Like, they, 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 either they look at it or you hear them say, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, you would hear them say, oh, that's neat. And then they'll walk away. But no, for like the first few months, everyone applauded after every show and people still do like I caught a school group right before the pandemic of a group of kids they applauded this was like in February when I brought my dad to see it so that's to me just stood out as just amazing and knowing that we really did a a good job on this piece and that the writing was incredible and that we really put some content in that people felt like it really step with them and really walked away knowing more about this T-Rex than, than they ever did before when it was in Stanleyville Hall. Some of the information that's conveyed in the show, in another time, you could imagine maybe someone standing there with a pointer and saying things like, here you could see, you know, this happened or something like that. And this is so much more immersive. And I think the information is retained better by the mm-hmm. visitors. Yeah, and actually, we did a little sample of that. It's actually in the narration, where she says, like, look over here, now look up there. So actually, uh, a friend of mine, um, Nick, who works at the Planetarium, he's a show operator, or show operator manager, actually. Um, But he does a lot of the sky shows at the Planetarium. And we had him come over to the film museum to, like, kind of give us some pointers on like how to record the narration in a way where it does feel like someone is in the room mm-hmm. pointing things out to you right. at at the skeleton instead of you just listening to like and this is too you know like that like that narration we usually mm-hmm. hear like in documentaries and that was one of his suggestions was what if you actually say look up or look over here now look over there like put a little bit of that in there then that keeps people their attention span, like really focused on what's happening because you're telling them to do something. And so, yeah, so that thing, that's that I think you're ca- you caught what we put in is like that little Easter egg that we put in there. <laughs> what was the, uh, what was the biggest challenge with this project? I would say the biggest challenge was cleaning up the spill on the, the back wall of, of the entire skeleton. Once everything was mapped, and finalized was I had I ended up using um about three weeks just cleaning that up like I would stay late like I didn't <laughs> I didn't leave the museum until like almost midnight mm-hmm. for three weeks just spending time sitting there with um in Photoshop just going around the entire skeleton and just cleaning all of that up to me I think that was the challenge and making the show itself wasn't so bad because it's all mostly like just solid colors. Um, and you're just transitioning from skull to the entire skeleton to a leg to a rib. It was mainly just the cleaning up, like getting it really cleaned up and perfect was the hardest part. It was more tedious, I would say. Uh, given the reaction, I'm curious what other projects might be in the works. So we, it's a little challenging what I've learned that doing projection mapping at the museum because a lot of our shows travel so whenever I pitch and I did the do projective back when they're like, no, it's going to be too hard. It's going to be too challenging. <laughs> so 
So I hopefully in the future, if I get put on another permanent exhibit that we will have the opportunity to do more projection mapping. I think that's one of my goals is that we take the success of this show and use that in other ways around the museum and in other exhibits. But I also understand the logistics of it traveling, how just really challenging it is. A lot of our shows travel for years, you know, so I do have to, you know, take that into account that, okay, <laughs> maybe at the table, some of the projection mapping ideas for now. <laughs> now, when you walk around the museum, does your head fill with ideas like, oh, you know what we could do over there? Yes, all the time, because we have like so many artifacts and objects and just so it's like the ideas are just endless. The content is endless. So my mind is always racing about like how what we can do. I can't, can't even tell you how many projects I've already pitched, <laughs> but they all were for temporary um, exhibits or traveling exhibits. And every time you know, people will get excited and get on board. And then once they find out how long it's going to travel, they're like, uh, I don't think we'll be able to do that. Like We may need to scale back. <laughs> Not this time. So, yeah, that's the, I think that's the bad thing is like when you work in a big institution like the Field Museum, there is so much you can do that you're just like, Ugh, just just give me a chance to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, the tricky things about projection mapping when it comes to pitching a project, you really have to see an installation to get a feel for it. It can be hard to convey the final project through photos or videos of another experience. And I think that's what took so long with Sue is that it's it took a while to convince people about doing it on a skeleton because they never had seen it before. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was hard finding examples of it already done, which if, if you had an example of it already done, it's a lot easier to say, all right, let's try something like this. I did find like one video of, from a museum, I think maybe in Germany, of someone uh, they projected that onto a skeleton. And that's what I use as a reference. But theirs was, was a lot more abstract. I think it was like for maybe like a party or something. And they just project like a different like colors and shapes. And it was like really cool and crazy. And so I showed that and everyone was kind of like freaked out. They they thought it was cool, but they were like, is it going to look like that? And I'm like, no, it's not going to look exactly like that but this is just an idea of what it could look like to project onto a dinosaur <laughs> another one of my biggest challenges was getting everybody on board and and comfortable with it and doing that prototype really helped a lot because i was able to use that to share it around and say look like this is what i created on this mini t-rex and so imagine it on a very large scale you know and then also having the process like i was able to go into that pr project once we purchased all the projectors of already having the process established of how it can be done instead of trying to have to figure it out. So they had a lot more confidence in me in doing it because I just already had put so much groundwork into it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that was helpful. <laughs> and of course, this display is sort of a, you know, a high-end multi-projector media server setup, et cetera. But I know you've also been playing around with Lightform a little bit. Yeah, so since being at home, you have all this time. <laughs> and then also, I think for me, out of the frustration of being told no so many times that I can't do projection mapping because of budgeting and just, I was like, all right, I need to start 
just kind of venturing off and just learning it on my own still since that was my first big project like I still didn't feel like I knew enough of projection mapping like I didn't Mm -hmm. make enough projects I only had made that one project so my husband is a motion motion designer um I was telling him about Lightform which I've known about it for a few years I've been looking at it and actually wanted to try using it in the museum, but I decided to go ahead and purchase it for myself. And yeah, I, my husband and I were like, well, let's work together and create some projects. You do motion design. I can do projection mapping. We can put our, our skill sets together and make something cool. And so our first project was projecting on a clock in my dining room. We have I have this very large abstract clock and he was looking at it and he was like, wow, I can like make something really cool on that in Cinema 4D, like put some spears and like put some motion to it. And I was like, all right, let's give it a try. And once he projected it, I was like, wow, that looks really dope. Like, I think we're like onto something and I think we could do more like at home projection mapping projects. You know, now that we have this device and we have like this more of this free time at home, like let's let's just start making projects. So that was the first one. And then uh, Juneteenth was coming around and he mentioned like, I want to do something really important for Juneteenth and make something really creative because that's a really important day for us and our culture. Um, and so we came up with this idea of, <laughs> again, finding something lying around the house. We had this wax lantern where we just put like a candle in it. And we were like, all right, that's going to represent power and you know strength. And then we're going to project something onto the wall. So we had kind of like set up our little scene <laughs> and he sketched it out. We were like, okay, like I think we got something. And then we made it. And then after looking at it, we were like, wow, like that was really cool. And it came out really nice and we posted it and people were saying how much they really liked it. And so again, that was like another example, like, okay, we can just keep doing this. Like it's, it's so accessible. Um, it's so easy to to know, to learn, like especially with Lifeform, like it's kind of like you just drag and drop. It's not like the process I had with Sue, where it was a little more complicated at times and a little more tedious. But I think the thing we wanted to do was really merge Cinema 4D and After Effects with Lightform, and not just use Lightform itself. I mean, it's a great product, but it has just a lot of presets with it, and so we wanted to kind of work outside of that and create our own animation. So that's why I like Lifeform. I like Lifeform because it's so easy to use and it's so compact. The one I have is the LF2. Mm-hmm. So that's the projector, the camera, and the computer all in one. And I really like it. Like I like how so compact and small it is. It's not heavy. It's not like with Sue. Like I had <laughs> these ginormous projectors and had all this equipment I had to lug around. I'm curious how you brought the media you were making in Cinema 4D and After Effects into Lightform? Oh, we just exported it as a, a video. You can, yeah, you can import just video clips into into Lightform. So, yeah, we just render it out in Cinema 4D. Uh, we brought it into After Effects. It's kind of like the same process where you have to take your, you have to scan your object. So I did the scanning, sent the image to him, and then he brought it into After Effects and then laid his animation from Cinema 4D onto that scan to make sure like all the sizing and everything lines up and then kick it back to me. And then I bring it into Lifeform and we project it. Very good. You'd mentioned the Juneteenth project you were working on at home. I'm wondering if 
working on that and also seeing the reactions to Sue, I'm curious if you've given thought to the impact that projection mapping can have. Maybe how projection mapping can help us communicate powerful and important ideas. Yeah, I think it does that because people, especially like in museums and public spaces, a lot of that content is like on a monitor or some sort with some speakers. And to see it in a different way using projection mapping, whether you're, you know, projecting onto a monument or on a building or on a dinosaur or something of high significance, to use that as a storytelling tool, I think that's what gets people really excited and really into it is because they're seeing that seeing this content in a different way that they've never seen before. That's what I love about projection mapping is that you can just map onto literally anything and and tell a awesome story and it it just takes you out of that experience of seeing it the the old school way of on, on a monitor or on in a movie theater or something. I think that's maybe why I'm such why I've gravitated to projection mapping is because I just see such endless possibilities of storytelling like hmm, I can do something with this vase and and show the the line drawing from a thousand years ago on a vase and in a way that people just really can gravitate to and walk away you know feeling like they've really connected with it and what do you see as some of the key traits or skills for someone who wants to get started in projection mapping I think you just have to have a crazy mind. You just have to be really abstract. (laughs) I think that's what also has caused me to gravitate to it is because I'm so used to like working in like structure, you know, doing museum work and being able to like just project on a clock, you know, just because it, it does, it may not make sense to anyone, but because it looks cool, I, I like having moments like that. I like being able to take a break from work and to work on projects like that that are really just abstract, that's just crazy, just don't probably make any sense at all because it allows my brain to just have that that break and that creative freedom from what I have to do in my day job where everything has to mean something and everything has to be at a certain time and everything has to, you know, complement something else in the Mm -hmm. exhibit. I think being in an abstract setting for projection mapping, to me, that that's really appealing to me. And it, it just allows that, that creative freedom. I think that's really great. <laughs> Latoya, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Latoya Flowers, exhibition media producer for the Field Museum in Chicago. And again, you can check out a video of the Field Museum's projection mapping installation on our website at projectivefutures.net. As you know by now, in each episode of Projective Futures, we want to share the stories within this incredibly creative community. And you can help us grow the show by subscribing and also telling a friend or maybe two about the show as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at Projected Future, no S on the end, where we post links to all sorts of interesting projection mapping information, more guest info, and more. I'm Ryan Ritchie. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.